Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. Now, I just wanted to start today by just kind of highlighting a few stories that people posted online at liquidchurch.com telling what happened. Anthony D. wrote this. I uh, said, yesterday after church, my wife Lisa and I headed to Staten Island to visit family. And as we passed through Elizabeth, we found our first opportunity to reach somebody. There was one of those newspaper guys selling papers on the side of the road. And I thought it'd be perfect to pass a balloon to him. So we pulled up. The guy asked for a paper. He said it would be a buck. And I handed him a $5 bill, told him to keep it. He was confused. <laughs> we smiled and said, because God loves you, and handed him the balloon. Boy, did his face light up. He had a huge smile and said, thank you. And as we pulled away, we stopped a little ahead of the traffic light. And all we could see was his smile on his face. It was awesome. He was now standing selling papers, holding this blue balloon. <laughs> I'm, I'm really curious how many people must have asked him about it. I'm sure he was proud to tell him. After that, we still had Lisa's balloon. My wife had an idea to use it at the toll booth. We'd pay for the guy's toll behind us and ask the toll clerk to hand him the balloon. You know, if he questioned why we paid, we'd have him, you know, give it to the person behind us and say, God loves you. It seemed perfect. So we pulled up, asked the clerk to please take money out for the family behind us. He said, no problem, hand me my change. But then I tried to hand him the balloon and asked that he give to the guy behind us. And at first he was like, what's in this thing, a bomb? <laughs> I guess with all the terrorism in this world, this is how a lot of people react. I said, no, he was still hesitant. And then my wife, Lisa, shouted from across the car, it's because God loves you. That's why we're doing it. <laughs> and so we took the balloon. Again, we watched in the rear view as we drove off, and the toll guy hands the balloon to the car behind. And there must have been conversation, because the guy behind us was at the toll for about a minute. <laughs> he did take the balloon and drive off, and I'm sure the toll booth collector let him know that the crazy church people in front of him paid for it. Awesome experience. Wish I had more balloons, but I realized that I don't need balloons to outflow God's love through me to other people. Note quick from Kevin. Kevin said, hey, uh, Tim, bald Kevin here. Uh, excited to share this with you. I was walking out of ShopRite today enjoying the Dunkin' Donuts late and sweet coffee I purchased when I saw a Nissan Maxima with its key stuck in the trunk. It wasn't just any key, Tim. There was a wallet attached to the key, and it was just sitting in the trunk of the car screaming, steal me. Well, luckily, I was parked a few cars down, so I ran. Yes, ran to my car really quick to get my balloon from last night, and I ran back to the Nissan, <laughs> took the key out of the trunk, and I tied the balloon to the key and went ahead, opened the car door of the, of the Nissan, placed the wall on the key on the floor the, under the seat so no one would see it, except they just saw a blue balloon over the driver's wheel that said, because God loves you, floating in front. I'm not sure the person was, but I couldn't tell you how great it was. I, I wish my lunch break was an hour long so I could have hung around to see their reaction. Here's one from Jean. Um, she said, she goes, I, you know, I'm a bank teller, and so I get to see who really is in need. Well, I went to a local store and brought a gift certificate for a lunch special. And I waited all day just for the right moment for God to open an opportunity. Well, at the end of the day, I make a deposit for a family who was overdrawn by $200. After the deposit, they had a total of 54 cents left in their checking. So when I sent back their receipt, you know, through the you know, pneumatic tubes, uh, I sent them their receipt along with the certificate. And on it was written from Liquid Church, because God loves you. I can't wait to see what's planned for this outreach, and I want to be really involved. And I'm just trying to imagine, she was like, the, the balloon didn't quite fit in the, you know, the tube. <laughs> you know, it goes through. But, but as, I, as I thought about that, I mean, imagine a family, um, they're $200 in debt, they pull up to the bank teller, and they pay, you know, to get back up to 54 cents over, and back through the tubes come a free meal for your whole family. Why? Because God loves you. 
God arranges that kind of stuff. Um, this one from Angela was neat. She said, yesterday afternoon, I went to the AMP and decided that would be a good opportunity to give away my balloon. Um, I, I picked what I needed, and then I headed to the registers to choose my victim. We aren't really using victim language, but okay. Um, she's like, so this woman in front of me was, was, was buying strawberries, bananas, and Cool Whip. Not sure why you need to know that, but I wanted to tell you. The cashier scanned her order, told her the total, and at that point, I interrupted and said, I'm going to pay for the entire order, hers and mine. Well, the woman had a weird look on her face. And she was like, you're going to pay for my order? And I said, yeah, and here's why. Because God loves you. And as I handed her a balloon, she began to shriek. And she said, well, wait, I don't know if I'm going to let you pay for my order. I said, please, just, just, just take the balloon, let me pay. And so I, I paid the order, and the next thing I know, she was kissing me. <laughs> and she said, nobody's going to understand this. It was a bit surreal. I'm sure the cashier thought I was nuts. But in between shrieks, she said, I know God has me in his favor. I can't wait to testify this. I try to do good things like this, but I don't do enough. And I'm gonna, now I'm going to do something nice for somebody. And I was so moved by her reaction, and the tears were well in my eyes. I was amazed, wishing I thought I had taken more balloons. But I guess I realized um, that not many people experience this kind of love, which makes it hard for them to accept, which I know is exactly the spirit of the message. I'll share one more, one more. We got one time for Lori's experience. And so many of you posted. Thank you for that. Go online. You can read them. They're all listed there on our, on our blog, on our, on our Liquid Church website. But um, Lori said this. this. This is really honest. She said, you know, I, Tim, I came last week uh, to Liquid feeling pretty bad. For the first time since I started coming to Liquid eight months ago, I almost didn't come at all. A friend had let me down, and I was feeling pretty trashed. My head was full of negative stuff, mostly having to do with how I think I should be treated, what I deserve, et cetera, et cetera. After leaving the 1030 service, I was full of thoughts about giving, but I was also really hungry. Literally, I was starving. So I went to this place on Martin Luther King Boulevard that makes this awesome chicken. It's just a few miles from the Hyatt. And while I was waiting for my takeout, I noticed a big bag ready to be delivered. And I thought, here it is. Perfect. How great would it be for someone to have their dinner delivered and find out that had been totally paid for? And with a Because God Loves You balloon attached. So what followed, though, was something like a Who's on First skit. I tried to explain to the guy behind the register, and he met with a completely puzzled look. He didn't get it at all what I wanted to do. So he got a guy from the kitchen to come out to see if he understood. <laughs> he didn't get it either. He thought there was a trick. So the delivery guy came over. And I thought he got it until he asked me where I wanted my food delivered. And I kept saying, no, no, I want to pay for the order of the person whose name's on the bag. And then they got the manager. <laughs> and by this time, there's a group of about 10 people all saying they're looking like I'm nuts. Uh, seriously, it took about 15 minutes to get this straight, but it finally did. And I pulled out and drove away and actually got a chance to see the delivery guy not far away crossing the street with this bag of food with this blue balloon attached to it. <laughs> and I saw the house he went to, and it looked as though whoever lived there could use a break or two. The whole thing made me think a lot. What really struck me is how much it took for people to understand what I was trying to do. It's unusual for someone to pay for a stranger's takeout dinner, but it seems even simple acts of kindness and generosity are so rare in our world nowadays that people don't even know how to respond anymore. And the way people were looking at me, it was like I was performing some sort of small miracle, which in many ways it is. The other thing I kept thinking about was what a huge relief it was to get away from thinking about myself and what I consider my problems. The experience completely changed my day and had me feeling so good that I actually started feeling guilty. Yes, I'm a former Catholic. Okay, that's confession. All right. Thanks, Tim. Can't wait to see what's next with Outflow. Lori. Can we give a hand to all those people who took a risk for uh, just to show God's love? That's fantastic. And, and that's really just the spirit. We're starting out really small. As we start to leak God's love out beyond these church walls into the world around us, things change. People change. You'll change. Seeds get planted. Tiny, tiny stuff. But God's spirit does the rest.
Little things done with great love really can change the world. We believe that. And this is just the beginning. A tiny first step with a little experiment for our entire church. Now, if you didn't get a balloon last week, or if you're as deflated on the way home, how many is deflated, okay? <laughs> We've got more this week, okay? So you take one on your way out, you try again. And if you're like Lori or, you know, Kevin or Anthony or Lisa, you, and you connected with experience, do it again. Take another balloon. In fact, you don't even need a balloon, <laughs> as Anthony said, to live a lifestyle of love. But this is the start. Next week, we're unveiling kind of our, our, our big projects, but we just want to start, and we're pumped that you guys kind of just went for it, because we really feel like God's going to do incredible things this summer through this church. I just know it. So let's pray and ask him to bless our efforts, okay, in the weeks to come. Lord, thank you for those um, little touches of kindness, Lord, in a world that is often um, dark and cold, and we just thank you, Lord, because we know you're going to use them. Um, you said the gospel's like a mustard seed, Lord, a tiniest seed, and when it's planted in the ground, it becomes this massive tree in which people can find shade and comfort and relief. So I ask that you continue to do that through us, Lord, and inspire us even tonight to be filled up with your spirit so we can change this world you so love. In your name, amen. I remember playing hide-and-seek quite a bit with my kids. I still do, but when they're younger, I, um, I found that I would hide behind uh, doors or, in, or in, uh, behind the curtains and things like this. But um, sometimes I would hide so well that they couldn't find me, and there's frustration that would build up, and they'd be crying out, Dad, where are you? And then finally I'd break out, and they were happy to see me. I found that uh, what was more thrilling for my heart, and therefore, God being a father, he must have these kinds of feelings as well, is that I would hide behind the curtain and leave my foot out, and when the kids would come running into the room, they'd see me, and they'd get so excited, there you are, and they'd run, and they'd rip the curtain back, and their eyes lit up, as did mine, and I... And I realized they had the best time finding me. And I think it's, it's similar, in, except to a much greater, greater degree, is, is God wanting us to find him. He's got his foot out in every way to be found. And, um, and the, the, the delight on his eyes uh, is equaled only into the delight of your own eyes when you, when you have one of those connects. Well, hide and seek. It is probably the current most favorite game that my kids love to play whenever I get home from work, right? I walk in, Daddy, count to 10, try to find us. And my little girl Chase and three-year-old son Dell, they'll take off into the house, kind of scurrying behind drapes, burying themselves between coats in the closets. And of course, you know, what I do is I play along, I'm like, one, two, three, four, you know, ready or not, what do you say? Here I come. And then I walk through the house kind of like Mr. Magoo, pretending not to notice, you know, the cushions on the couch just shaking, you know, with giggles, you know? And I'll be like, gotcha, you know, and they'll scream with delight when I find them. Now, any, any parent or adult in relationship with kids, you know the, the joy of childhood hide-and-seek. But the reverse is actually true. I related exactly to what Rusty said in our opening video. As a father, when it's his turn to hide, he takes special delight in making sure one of his, one of his feet is kind of sticking out, you know, as, as a clue to the kids. Because he wants to be found by them. And I love how he describes the delight that he feels at being sought after and, and found by his kids. And you wonder, is, is, is that something of the way God feels about us? As his children, when we seek after him, I mean, really desire to find him. Because there's a clue to this in our human relationships, isn't there? When you seek after someone like a, like a child and they want to be found by you, there, there's, there's connection, there's joy, and it's one of the precious things that really makes life worth living. Well, the Bible tells us that this actually is exactly how God relates to us as a father to his children. And that in a very literal sense, he's inviting us into a divine game of hide and seek. In Proverbs eight seventeen, it says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me, what does he say? 
find me. Although it may not feel like it, Scripture tells us that God is very near to each one of us, a lot closer than we think, or maybe even able to sense in this, that he desires to be found. Jeremiah 29, 13 echoes. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I hope that's encouraging news to you this afternoon. You know, I know some of you may wandered in here, you know, half asleep or feeling spiritually disconnected or lost or, or, or not knowing how to find your way back to God. But, but today we start a note of hope. God wants to be found. He's not hiding, but we actually do have to seek after him. And when we do that with sincerity, he delights, Scripture says, in being found by us. I want to welcome you to week two of our new series, Outflow, which is all about overflowing life that God wants to pour in us and then out through us. And we're excited about this series because it really is all about reaching out and being used by God as an instrument of his love to make an eternal difference in the world around us. Now, our tagline for this series, it's on the front of your bulletin, is it's not about you. And while that's a central truth of the Christian life, it's not meant to diminish you in any way. Because this whole process of God flowing out of us hinges on a single prerequisite. That before anything else can happen, you have to be filled up. (laughs) Overflowing to the brim with a sense of God's love for you first. So while it's not about you, it starts with you and your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Now, for those of you who are new to the whole Christianity deal, you may have heard that, you know, phrase before. You'll hear that a lot, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But maybe you don't really know what that means, and that's totally fine. It's a little overused anyway at this point, but, but the idea behind it's important. And I want to unpack that a little bit by connecting the idea of having a personal relationship with God to the powerful connection that, that, that many of us share in the human terms. So you start with the father and his children, as I just mentioned. Next Sunday is a special day. It is what? Father's Day. And it's as good a time as any to really get your mind around the father heart of God. So let me begin by showing you a picture from the beach vacation I just took uh, with Colleen and the kids. That's my little boy, Del, uh, my son with whom I am well pleased, you know, uh, most of the time. <laughs> he's not chucking rocks or biting his sister. Uh, he is three. You see, he's a bundle of energy, bundle of passion, tears, joy, everything, you know, he, uh, is extreme. You know, he loves, you know, giggling and, he, and, he, and he, boy, if we don't go to Carvel on Friday, scream, I thought you loved me, you know, drama. But this is my current favorite picture of all time of my son, uh, and you can kind of see his personality. Uh, For those of you listening, you know, online, we're looking at this picture. It's by a swimming pool, and my three-year-old son, he's in his bathing suit. Do you see his swim diaper sticking out there? (laughs) You see it? And and he's getting hit directly in the belly with this stream of water. And his reaction is priceless. I call it squealing joy, you know? He's squealing, just kind of clutching his arms, trying to cover up. But the reality is he's loving every minute of it. And what you don't see in the picture is who's behind that stream of water. An unnamed squirter who has filled up the super soaker to the brim and just unloaded on this little kid. That's me. (laughs) And we had a great time on vacation. Now, this was really Dell's first time being comfortable around water. And he just kind of got comfortable with the idea of jumping off the side. He was a little hesitant at first into into daddy's arms. So when we arrived, he wasn't so sure. Um, He would edge up to the side of the pool, just kind of hesitant, tentative. And and I'd hold out my arms and be like, go ahead, son, come on, jump, I'll catch you. And he would go, no, no. He's scared, you know. He's at that age where, like, you know, he refers to himself in third person, you know. <laughs> it's like a rock star. And I'd be like, no, no, trust daddy, son. You know, come on, I'll catch you. Go ahead. And, and he would inch forward, you know, kind of trembling, not sure. And I'm like, oh, I want this to be a good experience. And, and he got up, like, to the edge. And he's like this. He's like, uh, and all of a sudden, boom, his sister kicks him in, you know. <laughs> she, has, she has the gift of encouragement, you know. Uh, and, uh, and fortunately, I was there to catch him. And after he got done being mad at her, he loved it. 
And for the rest of the day, it was, catch me, daddy, sploosh, back on there, catch me, daddy. I was like, wow, guess, you know, got over the whole trust thing. <laughs> uh, you know, and each time I caught him, I was like, see, you can trust daddy, you can trust daddy. Well, anyway, it's later in the day, and we're done playing. He's, he's getting out of the pool, kind of getting toweled off, and Colleen's, you know, taking him, and they're, and they're like, going to head in and get lunch. And so I'm, I'm like, okay, now a little, little time for adult swim, <laughs> you know? And I'm just chilling quietly, floating on one of those water noodles. You know those things? Like they're a little, you know. So I'm like laying there. I got my sunglasses on, my eyes closed, adult swim time. And I'm just starting to relax, lying with my head propped up on this noodle, when all of a sudden, and and suddenly I'm underwater, and my sunglasses are floating in front of me, you know, kind of dazed. And I see Dell's legs dangling, you know, on the water. See, he had actually jumped in Pearl Harbor while I wasn't watching, as soon as Colleen took the towel off, and like, you know, I like grab him, and, and I hold him up, and I'm like, sputtering, I'm like, Daddy, what are you, what are you doing, sonny? He's like, Daddy, yeah. and he's all, you know, flushing, he's like, Daddy, I trust you, you know. <laughs> and as disturbed and bruised as I was, I look back on that incident in retrospect and have to say that was one of the greatest moments of my life, that my son would so trust me as his father. That actually he couldn't resist the opportunity to dive in, even when I wasn't expecting him. In this, he believed that I, I would catch him. And a bond was established between us that, that day by the pool. One that I hope gets stronger in the years to come. Love, trust, joy, de- mutual delight. The, these are the qualities the Bible tells us that are intended to characterize our relationship with God more and more as we get to know and trust him. And when we do, life overflows. It's marked by joy. Now, don't get me wrong, there's pain and there's loss, tragedy, it touches all of our lives. But when we orient our lives around having a personal relationship of love and trust and joy with God, everything else actually flows out of it. Everything in your life depends on how you relate to God. Just as the happiness of a marriage depends on how a husband and wife relate, being filled to overflowing depends on the relationship you're experiencing or not experiencing with God. So let me take a quick survey. Whether you're feeling close or distant, you know, to God this, this afternoon, what kind of relationship would you at least like to have with God? I mean, what, what would you want to characterize your connection with him? Or better yet, let's approach it from another angle. What kind of relationships are you pretty sure you don't want to have <laughs> with human beings? For instance, if you're like me, you probably don't want to have a relationship with someone who's stingy and self-focused, right? You have a few of those, and you're like, yeah, not so much. Or with someone who's sour and legalistic, you know, all about, you know, crimping the rules and bearing down. Or maybe you're just getting out of a relationship, and you're breaking up with him because he's kind of angry and vindictive, <laughs> Or you're like, you know, you don't want, it's not even a relationship when someone's apathetic and uncaring. And the sad truth is that many people see God in these negative terms. There are all sorts of distorted perceptions out there of God. And some of them flow out of our images of our earthly fathers. You know, maybe you grew up in a household where your father was strict or demanding, very critical. Love was based on your behavior or performance. You're like, I guess that's what God's like. Or maybe you had a weak father. You couldn't, you know... Depend on him to help or defend you, and that's how you conceive of God as kind of impotent and, and just uninvolved in the pains or struggles of everyday life. Or maybe you didn't even have a father growing up. Maybe he was missing, you know, physically absent, emotionally MIA. And so that really makes it hard to connect or relate to God as involved and interested as a loving father. I mean, if you had a great, strong, warm, and accepting human dad, it's, it's easy to absorb those negative images of God from other sources. And the good news is that God is actually not like any of these negative portrayals at all. In fact, according to the New Testament, God is exactly like Jesus himself. In John 10.30, we're told, Jesus actually says, he says, okay, here's the deal. The Father and I are what? One. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. In fact, in John 14, Philip, one of the disciples, says, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus says, have I been with you all this time, Philip? You still don't know who I am? 
Anyone who has seen me has seen who? The Father. So why are you asking me to show them to you? That's literally what he responds to him. In Colossians, the Apostle Paul says, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And that in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So the big idea of Christianity at the center of this is that Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth to walk and talk and eat and sleep and minister among us, in Jesus' character, we get a crystal clear, perfect picture of what the heart of God is really like. And and that's a good thing. Because if you spend time studying the historical records of his life in the Gospels, you realize, strikes you, Jesus is, is generous. You know, in 2 Corinthians... Paul's like, you know the generous grace of, of, of Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, the Son of God up in heaven, yet for your sakes he became poor. He entered this hot and dirty mess of this world so that by his poverty you, he could make you rich. John says in his first epistle, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. The perfect generosity heart of God. Jesus is accepting. I mean, last week you were here. We looked at John 4 where Jesus took the initiative to talk and befriend a Samaritan woman who was totally blown away. She was surprised by Jesus. For Jews, religious people refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Jesus was scandalous in crossing ethnic, religious, and class boundaries in his day. Jesus is forgiving. You know, that's at the center of the heart of God. I mean, when he was crucified, it's probably the most dramatic. In Luke 22... Jesus asked God, he's actually looked down on the people who mocked and beat and savaged and crucified him and actually said, Father, would you rain down fire of heaven on them? No. Father, what? Forgive them. For they don't know what they are doing. Forgiveness is central to the Father heart of God. Far from vindictive. And putting our trust in Jesus' death on the cross, the means of forgiveness, is central to what it means to be a Christian. And finally, you might be surprised to find out, actually, that Jesus is interested in you. 1 Peter 5, 7, we're invited to give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. It's amazing, but there's this one teaching where Jesus is talking with his followers. It's like in Matthew 6, and he's like out in the field. He's like, all right, object lesson, ready? Look at all the lilies of this field. You see, guys, see the nice flowers, how they grow? They don't work. They don't, they don't lift a finger to make their clothing. Yet the richest king in all the world wasn't, isn't dressed as beautifully as they are. So if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, thrown in the fire, how much more does he care for you? You get the point? That's one of the reasons they call it the New Testament. Because when Jesus appeared on the scene in human form, there was like a new revelation, a new living flesh and blood picture of who God was and what his heart was truly like. And Jesus flies in the face of the many distorted notions we have of God today. And and that's good news, especially if you desire in your heart to connect with God today. Because unlike our earthly fathers or anyone around us for that matter, Jesus does relationships differently. That's really our first point if you're taking notes. Let's have a little bit of of lights over there if you could, Susie, Ron, or Nick, um, just so people can follow along. But this is a departure for many of us. I mean, you guys know this. If you look at the world around us, you discover quickly that most human relationships are essentially self-serving. Um, In a former life, I was an English teacher, and there's a poet by the name of W.H. Auden, um, and he put it this way. He wrote this. He said, almost all of our relationships begin, and most of them continue as forms of mutual exploitation, a mental or physical barter to be terminated when one or both parties run out of goods. (laughs) Wow. I mean, the vast majority of our relationships flow from a what's-in-it-for-me calculation, (laughs) whether conscious or unconscious. Now, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. We've all had that experience of being liked or accepted for what we could do for another person. 
I remember my senior year in high school, right? Physics class, myself, four other guys. We weren't particularly good at science. And the other guys at the table actually befriended that quiet girl, Anne, who sat across from us, who was like a total brain, you know, kind of nerdy. She was just a whiz at physics. And one of the guys at our lab table who was pretty popular, of course, actually pretended to act interested in Anne, you know, just so he could get her class notes and have help with his projects. Of course, you know what happened. You know, the moment the final exam is done in the spring, you know, Anne's dumped like a hot potato. And, and this is one of the cruelties of adolescence. The moment we're out of childhood in, in, in the banner of unconditional parental love, we quickly learn most relationships in this world are self-serving. Everyone's out to get something out of you or from you. Or you're only as good in a relationship as what you can bring to the table. You know, those of you who work in business or the corporate world, yeah, can you relate to that? <laughs> Fill the blank. You're only as good as your last sale, <laughs> deal, consultation, acquisition, or account landed, or sale made. That's how the world works. Or at least it did until Jesus appeared. Because for the first time in human history, a human being with the perfect heart of a perfect father sought out relationships for no other reason than love. What he could give to them, not what he could get out of them. Why? Because that's the nature and the heart of God. All throughout the New Testament, you see Jesus does relations differently. He's not looking to get something out of them. He's not looking for acceptance or status or for people who make them look good. In fact, if you take a brief survey of the kind of people Jesus chose to hang out with, you'll see it all over the New Testament. You look at Simon Peter, right? One of the first disciples he tabbed, and if there's one thing that shows you Jesus isn't hung up on appearances, it's the fact that he chose a blue-collar, hot-headed fisherman as a leader of the apostles. Have you ever been down to South Street Seaport? Anyone ever been there? Fulton Fish Market, you know, in the city? You spend time around marina, you know that running a fishing boat is a dirty, smelly, dangerous job. Handling nets, fish all day, getting the catch ready for market means you're covered pretty much in sweat, blood, and guts most of the time. And in fact, it's likely that Jesus probably smelled Peter long before he ever saw him <laughs> and called him to be an f- intimate friend. In Peter's case, there was the added issue of a hot temper, seeming inability to pay attention. Peter was not this like sophisticated, well-educated, level-headed executive most of us would probably select to lead a worldwide movement. He didn't look or smell the part. And yet Jesus said, I'm going to build my church starting with you. Point. And like most of the world, Jesus sees past the surface us to the us we're created to be. He doesn't care how people look or even how they view themselves. Take Nicodemus. Here's a person who's different from Peter as, uh, as you could be. Nicodemus was, was a Pharisee, a well-respected religious teacher. If you remember, he came to Jesus actually during the night because he, he heard Jesus and he, he wasn't sure quite what he was teaching here. But he was a Pharisee, which meant he actually enjoyed power and influence. He probably was fairly wealthy. He was well-educated, a man people looked up to for his position and training. Yet Jesus didn't agree to meet with him because he was impressed by his education. But actually, he realized, oh, Nicodemus, has, he's religious, but he has no idea what it means to relate to God. <laughs> and so in the middle of that night, when Nicodemus came to him, and Jesus is like, um, you remember this conversation? He's like, all right, let's see. Oh, gosh, all right, how do I put this Nicodemus? It's like being, having a relationship with God. It's like being born again. You have to, like, start all over, dude, (laughs) like a baby or a child relating to her parent. Point. Contrary to popular belief, a relationship with God doesn't depend on your reputation or how much you know about the Bible. (laughs) Jesus wants us to get to know him as a person, a real-life God. Those are men. I'll take two women, two sisters. Take Martha and Mary, right, M&M gals. (laughs) Any of you got a sister? 
These are polar opposites of one another. (laughs) But each of them were invited into a deep friendship by Jesus. Now, some of you can relate to Martha. You could complete this sentence. If you want something done right, you've got to what? Do it yourself. How many agree with that sentiment, right? (laughs) If so, you're Martha. A type. Hard worker, responsible, always busy cranking it out. Well, in Luke 10, we're told that Martha's brother, Lazarus, he like invited Jesus to a big dinner party at his home, and, and Martha like took charge of all the preparations. And even though she volunteered to do it, she was like all stressed out, all overwhelmed, and actually blamed her sister Mary for not helping. Because Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening to what Jesus was teaching and had to say. Well, the Bible says Martha, like a good, you know, uh, older sister, go, went right over to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? <laughs> Tell her to help me. And Jesus' reply kind of shocked her because he said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Your sister Mary, sitting here, has chosen what's better, and it won't be taken away from her. Now catch this. Her sister Mary is just sitting there at the feet of Jesus, listening, quietly spending time with him, not lifting a finger, soaking it all in. And you know Martha was like, okay, that's great, Jesus. Um, <laughs> but what could be like more important than doing your fair share of the work than serving? I am here serving you, Jesus. But you get Jesus' point? He's actually not firstly interested in what we can do for him. He simply wants us to be with him so that he can fill us up. This is the be with factor that Mary discovered. The big secret is that we need to connect deeply with Jesus and be filled up before trying to serve him at all. So in terms of connecting with God or forging a personal friendship with Jesus, Mary was on to something. And, you know, it's kind of tempting to find a formula, you know, that, okay, so how do you connect with Jesus? Well, that would be a huge mistake because, you know what, in this room, everyone's relationship with God is individual and unique. There's no formula. As varied as the people in this room. The truth is, all of us approach Jesus differently. He relates to us differently, and each of us approach Jesus differently. What works for others in their relationship with God isn't always a good idea for all of us. Now, it's not that you can't learn from mentors or spiritual guides, but you need to realize that what brings one person closer to Jesus won't necessarily work for another. Again, take those four biblical examples, right? I mean, Peter, you describe as loud and messy. (laughs) When you read about him, you recognize, you know, he was a bold, enthusiastic, and some times he was just downright an ass. He was. (laughs) Always talking without thinking. Extremely rash and tempestuous, kind of unpredictable, like loose cannon. You remember at one moment, right, he sees Jesus walking in the water, and he's like, I'm in, you know, and he jumps out of the boat. He's like, I'm going to walk through Jesus. Incredible faith, and the next thing you know, he's cutting bait and deserting Jesus at the moment of his need. One of the greatest changes between Peter and Jesus, I love this, is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes out to pray, and he returns to find Peter and the disciples sleeping. They're sleeping. And he said to Peter, this is Matthew 26, 40, message paraphrase. He says, Peter, can't you stick it out with me for a single hour? There is part of you that's eager, ready for anything in God, but there's another part that's as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. Any of you go through hot and cold spells in your relationship with God? Yeah? Okay, you can relate to that? Yeah. Well, the reality is that Peter and Jesus had a great relationship for them. It fit them perfectly. So if you're loud and messy and inconsistent, take hope. Everyone has their unique way of relating. And some of you are are like, well, I'm not loud and messy. You're you're more like Nicodemus, who was slow and steady, right? He came to Jesus at night, meaning he approached God very cautiously. He wasn't certain. Peter dives right in, out of the boat. But Nicodemus was a reflective type. He had genuine spiritual questions and thought, maybe maybe this guy Jesus has the answer. 
But he didn't dive in head first. He comes at night to check out Jesus, who, who he really was. He didn't want to make a big splash. And, and perhaps some of you relate to that. Maybe you're even here this afternoon checking out this whole, you know, God thing because you have, you got questions, actually. Not jumping right in. I, you got legitimate questions. And if so, brilliant. You are welcome here in our church. And you are welcome to progress at your own pace. Feel free to take your time. You investigate the claims of Christ. See, Jesus doesn't demand that we, like, you know, act without thought or reflection. It's not about twisting your arm. Faith doesn't have to be impulsive, reckless, or based on emotion. Slow and steady wins the race. It's just that faith isn't a race. It's a relationship. And Nicodemus' approach to sharing a friendship with Jesus is extremely valid. Everyone has a unique way of relating to him. Martha, kind of, I, I relate to her, quick and capable, not the kind of person who, you know, wait around to be told what you need to do and she sees needs, fill them. And she expected the same of other people. Woman of action. Anybody here relate to that, right? You're a bias for action person. And that's how she approached her relationship with Jesus. Faith in action. And, and that's okay, but you know what? She did have to work a little harder at the whole, like, sitting still and just spending time listening to Jesus part. That was harder for her. And maybe it is for you too. Maybe you're driven. You're always on the go. But again, it's Jesus understands that about us. And in the midst of our weakness, he's present, guiding us into a growing friendship with him. We just sang friend of God. And like he did with Martha, he reminds us, you know, it's critical to be filled up first before we actually go out to serve. Now, her sister Mary, she was, you know, she was the opposite. Easygoing, relational. You ever take that Myers-Briggs test? I'm talking about personality. For about 45% of us, relationships are more important than tasks. (laughs) And as we saw in Luke 10, Mary desired one thing. She just wanted to be alone, (laughs) And have intimate time with Jesus. She just wanted to like soak up and get lost in what Jesus had to say, share her thoughts with them. She didn't feel the urge to be doing things for him. She just needed to be spending time with him to be happy. And once again, that's awesome. Because everyone relates to Jesus differently. And that's a concession God makes to the unique personalities of all his children. We're a diverse lot, just like the friends of Jesus in the New Testament. So take a look. Would you take a look at these four approaches of relating to God? I want you to choose one. Which one do you most identify with? Probably a mix, but I want you to identify one. We're going to do a quick survey. Show of hands. How many of you would say you are loud and messy like Peter? Loud and messy like Peter. Okay, two, three, four. (laughs) It's funny. I see some spouses like trying to put their other spouse's hands up like you're a little loud and messy one here, right? Um, How many of you would say, uh, no, you're more slow and steady like Nicodemus? You got questions and you want answers and you take it slow. Okay, good. You're more analytical. Quick and capable like Martha. Okay, you're driven, ambitious. All right, okay, yep. Easygoing, relational. Relationships more than tasks. Okay, good. That's interesting. That's kind of an equal number. The truth is, there are as many ways to approach Jesus as there are people. And Jesus always meets us where we are with all the character traits and experiences that make us unique. Now, although everyone approaches Jesus differently, a healthy relationship with him includes some basic things. You know, stuff like time actually spent praying or or talking with him. That's what prayer is. Conversation with God. Reading the Bible. Actually, Digging into his life and getting to know his heart and mind. That, that's what the word of God reveals. And we develop friendship with God as we actually spend time with other Christ followers. Hopefully that's one of the reasons you're here today. It's a critical aspect of growth. Although your relationship is personal, it's one-on-one, it grows best in the context of community. And you'll not only grow deepest um, when you're going to church, but you know when you're serving others. You know That's one of the reasons we emphasize not just on attending on Sundays, you see people in the brown shirts, but serving. You need to participate in the family to grow deeper in God. Why? Because Jesus was a servant. And every time you serve, you become more and more like him by serving others. Now, here's the deal. Whoever you are, however you're wired, you need to know something. The reason God wants to have a relationship with you 
is to fill you up so you can flow out. The time spent with Jesus is not just self-serving. Sometimes you see that by like the titles in Christian books where it's like seven secrets to a successful life. Not a, be- not, a, not a better life, but a better life will be had when you're filled up with God's love, full of trust in your Heavenly Father, and that love spills over and out through your life into the lives of those around you. Do you remember the fountain metaphor I introduced you to last week? That our spiritual life, we had a fountain up here, and our spiritual life is like this four-tiered fountain in which the Holy Spirit is poured by God into our life, meant to spill over into the lives of our family and friends, a bigger bowl, and then cascade down the lives of people who aren't even like us, like in our region, like Samaria, and actually gush to the ends of the earth. That's how Jesus said life will be for his followers in Acts 1.8. Now, we're going to get to the ends of the earth part in the weeks to come. We realize it's not about us, but it does start with us. You see that first bowl? The point is, you can't possibly hope to be part of God's eternal plan to impact the entire world and redeem it until your cup is first filled up, until you've been poured into by God, loved on by him, just as these four friends of Jesus were. And once you've been refreshed and connected deeply with God, then and only then are you in a position to influence others and serve them in Christ's name. That's why we're starting here. Because it ain't going to flow if you don't grow. You got this? (laughs) So here's my question to you, personally. Knowing your temperament, where you are, who you relate to, what do you do to get filled up by Jesus? Again, what do you do? There's no one right answer to this. I have friends who get filled up by spending literally hours in prayer, and that's great. In many ways, I envy them. Prayer is healthy and good. It's vital to a deepening relationship with God. It's like, how how are you going to get to know someone if you don't talk to them regularly? But one of my close friends, she does prayer walking in her neighborhood. She was telling me this week, she's like, oh, Tim, I just got lost in it. I was doing prayer. She goes, I I went out for a prayer walk where she like walks her neighborhood and like just talks with God for two hours. And I was like, first off, I'd have a heart attack if I walked for two hours. And, but that much praying, oh my gosh, the concentration, you know, I, I'm more of, I got a bias for action. Maybe you're like, or you have a bias for worship. Some people connect with God by, through their iPod. Did anyone here do that? You put worship songs in your iPod and as you go out and you walk or exercise or something, you worship. That's great. I'll do that a lot. In fact, I don't listen a lot to the music. I, I love listening to sermons. I know it's kind of weird. Uh, messages by other preachers. That's something that actually fills me up. I mean, if you went to the playlist on my iPod, they're full of sermons. I just, I love hearing the, the word of God kind of preached. It deepens my understanding of Jesus. But that may be like totally unappetizing. Maybe you're like, that, that, dude, that, that is weird. In fact, this, this is like as much as I can take of a sermon, so just end. Um, and, and, and that's totally cool. Maybe you connect more with God by, you know, serving regularly. A couple of weeks ago, remember you heard from Juan Galloway? Heads up New York City relief bus. And my friend Bob serves at New York City relief bus the homeless and needy every Friday night. Why? Why does he spend Friday night? Because it's one of the ways Bob deeply connects to God, by serving the poor, those in need. That connects deeply with God's heart. So let me ask you, going back to our examples, um, what's your most natural way of growing your friendship with God? If you look at those, I identify personally most naturally with Martha. You know, I've got the bumper sticker, you know, on the back of my car it says, get her done, you know. Uh, but I, I, I love, I love bias for action. I, I love ministry. I love serving. Sunday's a huge work day for me. You know what? I love it. <laughs> we, we got a team of Marthas around here. A whole host of people like Mike Leahy who like love serving Jesus by just getting the house ready for company. That's what Martha does. She's like, people are coming over. Jesus is going to be here. We got to make this place look great. Let's blow up balloons. And that's great, you know? Martha's not to be condemned. She's got a deep servant's heart. But those of you who are wired like that, kind of driven to work or serve or meet the needs of others, there's a danger that comes with that too, isn't there? It's called burnout. 
It's what happens when you try to serve others without having your own tank filled. Because if all you do is give and give and give and never stop and slow down and silence yourself so you can receive, so you'll pretty soon be empty and worn out and disconnected from Jesus and going through the motions, even though you're really busy doing things for him. Steve Shogren writes, Though it may start out as generosity, when you give and never receive, your giving becomes all about you. It becomes condescending, prideful, and ultimately arrogant. The love in it dies and shrivels into grudging obligation. And it becomes a selfish martyrdom that's more about everything you've sacrificed than it is about the people you're helping. It's ugly, and it's not what God desires. Again, that's from his book, Outflow, which we're kind of using as a basis for this series. By the way, we've got more copies of that at the Welcome Center. I know we sold out last week, so if you want a copy, you want to track along with what we're doing, pick that up. Uh, I I learned this truth the hard way this past week. Um, I was actually out of the office uh, all week. I was in Pennsylvania at uh, Biblical Theological Seminary. I was teaching a a grad course there with some seminary students. And um, it was kind of like this week-long intensive. I was like, semester's working like five days. And when I agreed to teach a class last year, it seemed like a good idea. Uh, it really did at the time. Uh, I scheduled after our family vacation, which, you know, went whammo. Uh, so I figured, you know, I'd be well rested. And, and the class was in an area of interest to me, you know, like ministry and media. So I thought, you know, hey, good fit. I can do this. I was like, you know, I could lead Liquid, New Jersey, go out to help some younger pastors in Pennsylvania. This is going to work. And, and, you know, it did. I, I had a great week. Jen Rank helped me with the course. It was, it was, it was great, but it was, it was a ton more work than I anticipated. In fact, last Sunday, uh, you know, I preached all three services here and, 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 you know, kind of got out of here late and had to drive out to Hatfield, PA. And by the time I got out there, it was 2 a.m. And, uh, and then I kind of organized my papers for, you know, 7.30, you got to get to class. And suddenly it's like 3.15. And I'm just like, I'll just stay up, you know. <laughs> it's like, what, ha- what happened? I had to be in the classroom by 7 next morning. It went from there. Full load, 22 students. And the class ran bell to bell every day, 9 to 5. And by midweek, I was exhausted. Papers to grade, projects to evade, and by the end of the day on Wednesday, I was what you would call a crispy critter, fried. Now, all good stuff, mind you, okay? Ministry stuff, serving Jesus. But I was like, burnt. And when class was over on Wednesday, Jen knows, I <laughs> like turned into a monster. It's like I'm going back to my room. And I just like collapsed. I just crashed. And I, and I stared at the stack of papers that I had to grade. And like something in me just broke because I was just like, you know what? Screw this. This, I'm, this, I am all alone. They've given me too much to do. They've expected too much. No one is here to help me. And I did something you should never do. I took out my red pen and I'm like, I'm going to grade the papers. And I took that red pen, started going down and it was good because like the Holy Spirit held my hand back. I was like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm going to pray for us. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't even know what to say. God, I am exhausted. <laughs> I feel like I got more work than I can handle. And if I want to do these papers, I, I, I got to keep going here because if I don't, I, just, I need your strength. I need to be filled up. Can you help me? And I just knelt there and my eyes were closed. And my mind was like, you know, kind of racing. And suddenly I felt God like telling me actually just, it's kind of like put your sword back in your sheath. He's like, put the pen away <laughs> and put your shorts on. I couldn't shake this unshakable sense. I was supposed to put my shorts on. He's like, would you just go outside, go, get out of church, get out of the classroom, just, just go, get out of here. I was like, no, Lord, I need to get out of here. And I was like, okay. And so I put my shorts on and I walk outside and, and, and as I walked out there, there's, there's this, you know, bike rack with mountain bikes on it. 
And I'm like, man, now see, like people around here have time to mountain bike. I don't get to do that stuff anymore. You know, I got kids. I don't even know where my mountain bike. Oh, yeah, I gave it away. I don't even remember this stuff, you know. Whatever. There it is. Church sucking the life out of me again, you know. And, 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 and as I'm saying that, one of the grad students is walking back to his room and, and he goes, he goes, hey, Tim, what's going on? And, and I was like, I was like, oh, great. I go, these are these are some beautiful bikes. He goes, oh, yeah, my wife and I own that. Do you want to borrow one? I was like, you serious? He's like, yeah, yeah. Can we give me an A? I was like, yeah, all right. Just, you know. and, uh, and he's like, no, seriously, take it. Go off her. And I was like, great. So, so, so I was like, well, thanks, God. All right, I'll do this. So I get on his mountain bike. And now this is Pennsylvania. I don't, woo, okay, Pennsylvania, woo. This was like Pennsylvania, all right? This was like Hatfield, PA of the Hatfield Meatpacking Company. That's like their claim to fame. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm biking on this mountain bike kind of across fields. It's just basically like, it's just like corn and condos. It's like, that's it. And, uh, but I was having a great time. My arms actually started stinging. My leg muscles are cramped because I was totally out of shape. But it was, it was like wonderful. And I realized I hadn't been over mountain biking over a year. And I was like, I'm like going along. I'm like, Lord, this, this, is, this is great. And I was like, why, why, what is it? You know, you know how life pickpockets you of stuff like that, you know? It's like you get going, you know, whatever it is. You're, you start a relationship, a marriage, a ministry, a business. You launch a church, whatever. Meet other people that need help. And somewhere in the shuffle, the stuff I really enjoyed that used to really renew my spirit got stolen from me. You ever have that happen? I was so out of shape um, that, like, I, I had to take a break, but I felt my spirit, like, kind of rising. I was like, i, I got to take a break. But, and I spotted this, like, bucolic white little church by a lake, and, and it was middle of the week. It was like no one was there. I was like, good, no church people. So I wheel in there, and, and I get off my bike, and I put my iPod on, and I, and I put some, like, worship music on. I just, like, walked around that lake. It was like one of the, and, you know, I was like, whoa, whoa, my legs are jelly. You know, in quiet, clean air, had my iPod, and I'm just like, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, just talking with God. I was like, Lord, thanks for getting me out of there. I just needed, and he's like, yes, you need to get out of church in the classroom. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, Lord, I know. He goes, what, what, what happened to our time that we used to spend together? And I'm just walking around this lake. And as I'm walking around, I see, um, I got like a blacktop with like a, a basketball pole. And I was like, man, I haven't even shot hoops in a long time. I was like, I, I would love, I wish there was a ball. What's that? And there's this basketball sitting right off there in the weeds. And so I grab this thing and start shooting hoops. And each shot I take, I was like, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for, for this, just for a half hour to be alone. Swish. That, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, you've seen the video. It's not like that. <laughs> off the backboard, boom, you know, brick. Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for other gifts, you know. But it was great. 45 minutes, I'm shooting hoops with Jesus. And I, and I say that because it was like a spiritual experience. It did something to my soul. Just being alone, away from the church, away from the computer, away from the classroom. It cleared my head. It quieted my soul. And you know what? It connected me deeply with God in a way that I haven't had in a long time. And that afternoon, I realized how badly I'd been neglecting simple just downtime with God. Just literally going out into nature on a bike with no other purpose than slowing down my natural drivenness and letting the adrenaline leak out and just simply being. We're human beings. But if you're a Martha like me, you sometimes feel more like a human doing. And we're human beings first. And I used to do that with regularity, you know, escape outdoors for some physical activity that always connected me with God. But as I said, life pickpockets you these things. Life gets busy, work gets more intense, you get kids family obligations, people expectations increase. I mean, if you're remotely good or competent at what you do, guess what? Yeah, people ask you to do a lot more. <laughs> and it never ends. 
Never running treadmill, you get running like Martha, and suddenly somewhere along the way, your joy is gone, and your mind is racing, and your heart is anything but still and peaceful. Does this sound familiar? I'll go back to our anchor verse last week to suggest to you that's not a coincidence. That's the way our enemy works, Jesus said. Remember he set this up in John 10.10? He said the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy every source of joy and love and blessing that God, your Father, wants to pour into your life. Now I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. The Norwegian word, overflow, right? Remember that? Fulling over. I know I said life pickpockets you these things, but is it just possible there's another thief at work in your life to keep you racing and busy and distracted with like a spiritual ADD? <laughs> Sometimes with good things, things you're gifted at so that your relationship with God suddenly takes a back seat. It's entirely possible. It's happened to me. And it's something I've got to guard against since I'm wired like a Martha. <laughs> now, how about you? What could you, what could you use a little bit more of this week if your goal were, were simply to reconnect deeply with the heart of God? It's funny, but if you asked me on Monday, I would have been like, you know, when I was in my manic ministry mode, I, I would have been like, well, I've got to study the Bible more. I've got to volunteer to serve. I got to... By the end of Wednesday, I realized the best thing I could do was just simply stop ministry and go for a bike ride. <laughs> and on my way home, I started realizing this was a gift from God. And I received it as a gift. My heart just opened up. I was like, God, thank you, Father. <laughs> Thank you for really stopping me and sending me out and giving me a gift, like from the heart of a father to, uh, to his beloved son. Time to play and get reacquainted and just enjoy one another. And I just went home praising God. Jen knows it was like a changed person. Shooting hoops, spraying mud, praising God. Why? Because <laughs> like the psalmist said, he, he led me into green pastures and restoreth my soul. And that's why I can be with you here today to minister to you out of a full cup. I don't have to go in an empty tank or put it on because although it took some prodding by God's spirit, God poured himself into me last week in spite of my natural compulsions. And that's the goal. So here's a question for you. What would it take for you to connect deeply with God this week? Not just a token prayer that you utter on the way to work in your car. I'm talking about a refilling that not only will refresh you spiritually and emotionally, but actually fill you to the point where you'll be positioned to overflow into the lives of others by next week. Because that's where we're going. But we're like, as a leadership team, we're like, we dare not go there without first being filled up, each of us personally, by Jesus. Because if we do this on our own strength, Scripture says that, you know what, you can do a lot of stuff, but if you don't have love, you've got nothing. In fact, apart from God, you can do nothing. Not something, nothing. Now, next Sunday is Father's Day. In anticipation of Father's Day, we are going to give you a gift. In fact, I'm going to ask our host team to come down right now, if you would, and pass out the free gift that we are giving to everybody. And maybe this is the first time you've ever received something like this, but this is a free invitation, an invitation, as it were, to a special Father's Day gift. It literally says, uh, again, if you're listening online, you can kind of Go along with us here, I'll describe it to you. But we're passing out these invitations. They kind of look like wedding invites here. <laughs> but you see on the cover it says, uh, in script, you're invited. And uh, I'll wait a moment as they're passed out. Um, but I want you to treat this literally as a note from your Heavenly Father straight to you. Here's what the inside reads. It says, my child, as a Father's Day gift from me to you, I want to spend an hour together with you this week, alone. Just the two of us. Meet me at our favorite place. Remember where that is? Do you remember? An hour to spend together. No agenda. Just time for me 
to love on you. RSVP, your heavenly father. How often do you get a personal invite from God to spend an hour? <laughs> Full block of time, just renewing your friendship. Actually, we, we are given this invitation every day, but most of the time we decline it. <laughs> now, now, don't feel bad about it. The point doesn't make you feel guilty. The point's got you filled up. But that's going to take a variety of shapes and forms in a crowd this size. I told you about God's gift to me this past week. Mountain biking, iPod worship, shooting hoops. What will it be for you? The note says, meet me at our favorite place. Remember where that is? Some of you may be like, what? Where do you go to connect with God? What refreshes your soul? I mean deeply, fills your heart. Maybe it's spending extended time in prayer, you know, or going for a hike and talking with God as you walk. I'm sure some of you can instantly think of that place or activity. If you can't, a good place to begin is where I did. What has the thief pickpocketed from your life? It was a source of spiritual connection and joy. I mean, when can you last remember being deeply connected to God, renewed by Jesus? Where was that? What did you do? Maybe you didn't have, maybe you haven't spent time reading the Bible in weeks. Okay, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to blow the dust off the cover this week, and you go to Starbucks or Panera. You get one of those big, ice, chill, culotta mamas, <laughs> and park it in one of their big A couches. I want you to spend an hour reading, just listening to God. <laughs> That's what reading the Bible is. It's, it's, it's reading God's story. It's food for your soul. And you will refresh and get to know Jesus better. That's how a friendship deepens. In Matthew 6, 6, Jesus makes this invitation to his followers. This frames it out. He says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded, secluded place so you won't be ro- tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. And the focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. That's the context for this invitation you hold in your hand. Take it as a personal invite from your father, prior to Father's Day, to connect deeply with him. Quiet down, take a load off. It's ironic, but, you know, as kids, <laughs> we're incessantly asking. That's what my little boy does. It's always, Daddy, you want to play with me? Daddy, you want to play with me? Daddy, you want to play with me? The irony is when we grow up and we need that time with our father the most, we forget to ask that. <laughs> and how important it is to our soul to living a life of outflow. To flow out, you've got to be filled up first. See, connecting with Jesus produces outflow. If you went back to our case studies, every one of these persons were deeply transformed by their relationships with Jesus. You look at Peter. I mean, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, <laughs> he stopped hiding his face and pretending he didn't know Jesus, and he was a bold witness. I mean, it was amazing. Hot-headed, loud, and messy, but you know what? In Acts 3, after the Holy Spirit came, it says Peter was a model of compassion. You can go ahead, Jeff. It was amazing because you know what happened? He was walking into the temple and he saw a man who was lame there. And it says Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and his ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. And he jumped up, stood at his feet, began to walk, praising God, and he went into the temple with him. You get this? In other words, the characteristics that limited Peter, arrogant, hot-headed, compassion deficit, didn't even matter anymore because God's power flowed out through him once he was filled up by God's Spirit. Similar thing happened with Nicodemus. You know, he comes to Jesus at night. But after developing a friendship with Jesus, he was the only one who actually stood up for Jesus in court when he was accused. When all the disciples left, Nicodemus said, I, don't, I, I, don't, I think this man is innocent. And when Jesus' body was taken down from the cross, he was the one who brought 75 pounds of myrrh and actually, and actually anointed Jesus' body. So catch this. A formerly legalistic religious leader has his traditions shattered, life transformed by God, and becomes bold and caring, no longer afraid of being identified with Jesus, and says, that's my friend. And finally, Mary. Mary was probably the most you know, extravagant and loving. You remember the, maybe the passage where she comes in and pours 
on Jesus' feet perfume. We're told it was nard, which is kind of expensive, and it was a year's wages worth. So in today's terms, she washed Jesus' feet with a perfume that was worth approximately (laughs) $46,000. In other words, she was pretty impractical in her love. (laughs) She loved Jesus. Groupie. Fan. Just filled with this love so amazing that it just flew out of her where others could see it and smell it for themselves. You talk about outflow. But you know what? That leaves us with Martha. That's who I identify with. And Martha's question is, was she transformed by her relationship with Jesus? The answer is, you know what? According to the Bible, we simply don't know. We know that she believed in his power to raise her brother Lazarus from the dead, but we don't know if she continued to put her work for God ahead of her friendship with God. And that's a cautionary detail for me and for many of you. Keep close company with Jesus. He is your first love and your childlike trust in your father is never meant to grow up or to grow old. Keep it fresh. Keep it filled. And it will flow out this summer. You hold your hands in invitation to be freshly filled this week. And if you choose to respond, I know it's going to bring joy to God's heart and yours as well. But it's your choice, free gift, your decision you know, to receive it or not. I'd expect and hope that many of you will accept it. And if you do, you, and you have a vitalizing experience in that time of connection, I want to invite you to post it online at www.liquidchurch.com, just like the folks did with the balloon stories. Those really encourage others, and it's a way that we can grow together and progress and prepare our hearts as a community to flow out in our big-ticket projects, which we introduce next week. Sound good? All right. Let's stand together for prayer. We're going to ask God to fill us fresh, okay? Lord Jesus, here we are again. We're yours, Lord. And... Um, see, what's honest? Lord, we confess that we are both intimidated and excited at the prospect of being changed by you. Lord, I thank you that we're created in your image, each of us different, each of us unique, Lord. And that no matter where we've been um, or how long we've known you, it's not the point. We're starting at square one today. And so we want to be a spirit-filled people, Lord. We want to be changed by your power. So please come, Lord, and start with me. I ask, Lord, um, that for those of us who are hungry or thirsty for more of you, Lord, that we would seek you and we know that you love to be found. Reveal yourself to us. Fill us, Lord, even in these closing moments and use us to change your world. In Jesus' name, amen.